Lord Almighty, thank you that you give us great grace and that you love us in spite of ourselves. Thank you for music. Thank you for Isaac Watts. Thank you that you are coming again. And thank you for your word. Use it, Lord Jesus, so that we will be shaped to be the men and women of God you have created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. In late 2003, I got a phone call from a desperate man. Have I ever told you God loves a desperate soul? His entrepreneurial job company that he started failed. His marriage was failing. He had already moved out of his house and he had gone to numerous churches seeking help and so his confidence in the body of Christ was diminishing. Steve was a desperate man. Through a series of contacts that I won't tell you because they're almost absurd how these contacts happened, he ended up calling me. So, being new to a failing church, I agreed to meet him. And indeed, Steve's struggles were daunting. His wife was a lawyer in Santa Barbara, and she had already secured a lawyer for herself so that she could end his marriage. Human hope for this desperate soul was spent. On the other hand, as Paul reminds us, when I am desperate, then I am strong. Steve and I met a couple of times and miraculously, Linda agreed to come and meet with us. Now, I decided way back then, let's do something stark, raving, mad, crazy. Let's pray about this. So I prayed. I decided before Steve and Linda came into the office that I was going to pray because if God really is God, then He can put marriages that all human hope for is lost. He could put them back together. Maybe, just maybe, God would show up. Steve told me that they had been to another pastor when Steve asked if they could pray as they were meeting. And the counselor, I won't call him a pastor, said, no, 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 let's just get started. How sad is that? You see, as a biblical counselor, my number one job with every couple or individual or family I meet with, my first job is to give hope. Because hope in the supernatural, Red Sea parting, sun igniting, life giving God, that God, He can give hope to anybody and everybody. He can win where we have no chance. And God loves a desperate soul. 
God loves a desperate soul because the resources of the world in which we live are not enough. They are not sufficient to meet the challenges of this life and even the next life. If we don't instead turn to the supernatural God, the One who is above all else, and the One who can breathe life into a dead marriage and into a dead soul, if we turn to that God, then we have hope. We have hope. God knows all this. In fact, God plans for it. He uses our desperation to bring about change. Because until we're desperate, until we have tasted our complete ineptitude to do anything that really will last, until we've decided that there is no supernatural, there is no human hope, until we're desperate enough to turn to Him, we'll never have it. And there are few situations in this life that I have run into that cause more desperation than the reconciliation of two sinners. Because we are stubborn. And we need hope. And that's why we turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 16-21. Paul says here, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting our trespasses against us, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The big idea today is be desperate enough to trust Jesus. Last week we began this passage and we ran through verses 16 and 17 because I knew that we wouldn't be able to get through the whole thing. And if you remember, we emphasized a lot about being a supernaturalist, about looking to a supernatural God whose powers are far infinitely above our own. And I said this, a supernaturalist is the soul desperate enough to stop regarding their situation according to their flesh, according to what they could do on their own. According to viewing their situation through eyes that only see what people can do and start regarding their life, their relationships, their situations in terms of what God can do. Trusting that He will come through on all of His promises for you in Jesus Christ. God 
loves. God is quick to hear. God is quick to act on the benefit, on behalf of the desperate soul. And the desperate soul trusts the promises of God for them that everything sad will one day come untrue. Everything sad will not come untrue because God wipes out our memories. Everything sad will come untrue because it will no longer be sad. This is what Pastor Benji read last week, the quote from Tim Keller. He said, everything sad is going to come untrue and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. All of your struggles, especially with this passage in mind, all of your struggles with regards to your spouse, to your children, to those who are within arm's reach of you, all of those struggles will no longer seem to be Sad, because one day He will have used these to make us the shining examples of who it is He made us to be. You will one day be the best version of yourself. And it will be all the more glorious because of the struggles you have gone through in this life. And that is why you and I need to be desperate enough to trust Jesus. Verses 16 and 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So last week, I, I can't re-preach the message from last week, but I want to just get a couple of details. You remember we quoted uh, Scott Hafman when he defined according to the flesh. And this is how he said it. He said, in accordance, according to the flesh is in accordance with the standards and values that derive from living as if physical life in this world is all that exists. Steve was a practical man. He was a business owner. He thought about how life went and he looked at his marriage and he realized it was done. There was no human hope for it at all. His wife was a lawyer and she hired a lawyer to end the marriage. I mean, this one was in the books. The fat lady was already warming up. And if he had looked at it according to the flesh, why bother? Just get yourself a lawyer and hope for the best. And if you and I look at our relationships and circumstances in terms of what people can do for you, then you're not a supernaturalist. You aren't yet desperate enough to call on the only God who can answer. And, and let's just face it. Let's, let's be honest adults here for a second according to the flesh there is no reconciliation there's just negotiation according to the flesh there is no possibility because the leopard can't change his spots but if you are a desperate soul 
If you are a soul that looks at your situation, that looks at your circumstances, and hands them, as it were, to God and say, Lord, I can't deal with this. It is so far beyond me. I'm lost. God will say, yes, you are. And that's right where I want you to be. Because when I am desperate, then He is strong. God loves a desperate soul. You and I can depend on God because Jesus is the author of world history and He is the author of your history. You can depend on God the Son because He knows you and loves you better than you know and love yourself. Therefore, because this is true, Whatever your circumstances is, whatever your situation, whatever stuff you have or don't have, whatever relationships you have or you don't have, you are safe and you are loved. And lastly, last week, we emphasized that an insufficient view of God, this idea that God can't help me in this situation is the reason Christians are ineffective today. By not trusting in your heart, no matter what you say with your lips about God's sovereignty, for not believing in your heart that God can solve all your problems. He is able to, and He is willing to guide you through your problems for your ultimate good and for His glory. Without that confidence, you have nothing. And, and where do we find ourselves? Where do we find what, what goes on? Well, we allow our minds to be shaped and molded by the world around us. We spend all our time watching TV. And we have these ridiculously unbelievable endings to TV shows. Or what we have is really no resolution at all anyways. Because reconciliation isn't possible. Only negotiation. And so we get this forced into our minds and our hearts. And, and we get trapped. We're stuck. We're not able to see that there is a supernatural God who gives us promises that we can trust so that we can look at our situation and become desperate enough to know that I can't solve this. But I know who can. And this may not turn out the way I want it to. Hearts are still broken. Children still wander, maybe never come back. Parents are stubborn to the end. We don't get the perfect job that we want. We don't get all the toys we want. Yeah. It's called living in a sin-sick world. But you can know. You can know to the roots of your teeth that God will allow no ultimate harm for you and He will make it so that everything ultimately for your final joy will be what you need.
God does not show Himself to be a miraculous provider because we don't depend upon Him to provide miracles. We keep running. We keep fighting. We keep thinking, I'll make this work. Do yourself a favor. Have a soul desperate enough to trust Jesus so that He can provide those miracles for you. So pick a relationship. This is all about relationships tonight. And I'm not saying that's the only way to apply. This is just how Paul is applying it, so that's what I'm doing. Pick a relationship that you are struggling with right now. Anybody not have one? I'll give you five to pray for about for me. You have a, rela- you have a relationship that you're struggling with right now? Pick that relationship and just throw up your hands to Jesus and say, Jesus, my resources aren't enough. They're not sufficient. But yours are. Yours are. And I am going to trust in you. Then, take that step of faith. Take that step of faith and rejoice. Okay, I laid it before the Lord. He is going to take care of it. It doesn't mean you're stupid, but what it does mean is you start living like God is sovereign. You start living like He is the one who can change the leopard's spots. Because all of your nagging doesn't work. And Paul continues. Verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, this is a marvelous verse. And this morning in Sunday school, I spent a lot more time talking about it. But I want you to know, first of all, the phrase, all this is from God. And Paul is pointing us back to verses 16 and 17, and we see everything in there is done because God wants it done. It's not because you're so smart. It's not because you're so rich. It's not because, like Paul Mills and I, we have this stunningly handsome lack of hair. It's because God gives us new life. God gives us the new creation. God provides miracles to those who trust His promises. And God gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I have a question. Who carries on the ministry of reconciliation? God does through us. We do. We are His instruments. God's people. And this is the inescapable truth that we must recognize. This is the truth that makes sense when you begin to intentionally force out an inadequate view of God. When you intentionally push the world out and say to the Lord, I'm inadequate. I need your resources. And God says, okay, I'm hearing you. But you know me. I'm a practical kind of guy. I like talking about heady stuff now and again. Don't get me wrong. But I really want to know, how does this affect my life tonight? 
How can I, how can you start intentionally forcing out an inadequate view of God so that you can be desperate enough to have him act? How can I stop being a practical atheist who goes to church? Now I'm going to shock you. You all are going to be stunned by this, okay? Are you ready for my answer? It's going to be really complicated. Pray, read your Bible, fellowship with people who love Jesus, and do service outreach. That's how you do it. All the things your Sunday school teachers have been telling you since you were four. And I'm looking at you, and a lot of you are Sunday school teachers, so you've been telling kids since they were four. Or first grade. Something like that. Yes! God isn't complicated. Well, let me change that. Christianity is simple. It's not complicated. As you engage with God, His Word, and His people, God changes you. He changes your spots. Now instead of looking at the sins of your brother or sister, instead of looking at the spots on that leopard, you can see your own. And you can begin to see the Lord changing your spots. The Lord working in you so that you become more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ, exactly the way He made you to be. And I'm going to get into a little bit of psychology here. It begins in the mind. And the mind is where you hold something before yourself. Now, it could be Oprah on TV. It could be, you know, the latest edition of some magazine that you like. I don't buy magazines. I get them online. It could be God's Word. It could be praying for that person that we were just talking about. That relationship that you're struggling with. I'm going to tell you a secret. Okay? And the secret is you cannot both pray for somebody and sin against them at the same time. You can't pray for somebody and sin against them at the same moment. So you hold this before your mind. For example, praying for this difficult relationship. And as you hold this before your mind, your heart begins to change. Because your heart follows your mind. Your heart says, oh, that's what we like. We're going that direction. Okay, that's what I like. And so then, what you think about most begins to change how you think. And if all you're doing is looking at all your resources and you're, you're counting up all your money and you're, you're keeping all your doctor's appointments and you're doing all these things, then your hope is going to be found in these things. And guess what? It ain't adequate. And most people in this room are old enough to know that that's not true. They're not adequate. So then you worry. You get ulcers. But instead you keep God and His Word and His people in front of you, you begin to realize that there are resources quite beyond anything that people can have. And that's when you realize that your desperate soul is what God wants most from you.
You see, it's not winning races. It's not being perfect. It's not doing all of these things. It's having a soul that is desperate and is looking to God for the answer. And the way that you make your heart in that direction is by doing all the things the Sunday school teachers have been telling you for years. Pray. Be in the Word of God. Be with godly people. Be with ungodly people so that you can share your trust in Christ with them. And when you do, you will realize these resources aren't enough. And you'll look and you'll find them in Him. Be desperate enough to trust Jesus. My friends, this is a simple truth. This is, this is simply the way it is and people of all persuasions recognize this. And God loves a desperate soul. God loves a desperate soul because we realize we can't do it so we turn to Him. But now we get to the desperation part. Paul says we have a ministry of reconciliation. We have a service to provide. We are God's tools. We are the ones who have an opportunity to make a change in this world. And this change is to help people move from enemies to fully develop disciples of Jesus Christ. We are God's tools to help people in their most important relationship that exists so that God can help them in all the rest of their relationships. Of course, our reconciliation with God will affect all of them. So we need to know what is it that is entailed in our reconciliation with God? Well, two things. He says, God refuses to count our trespasses against those who trust them, and He gives us the message of reconciliation. He takes away that which prevents us from being a tool in His hand, and then He makes us a tool in His hand. A perfect one? Not by the way we use that word, but one nonetheless. And one that uses our scars. One that uses our family of origin issues. (laughs) How many times did Pastor Benji say he had issues this morning? Well, that just means you're able to be used. You got issues? God can use them to make you a person who has this ministry of reconciliation who can look beyond their own resources that have been scarred and dirtied and left out in the rain and be one who does that work for God's glory, for our joy, and for the growth of His kingdom. Be desperate enough to trust Jesus. That relationship you prayed about a few minutes ago, you did pray, right? You know that you can pray while I'm preaching. You know that, right? 
Pray and just simply ask God intervene. Lord, I can't do it. My nagging hasn't worked. My berating hasn't worked. My trying to drop hints hasn't worked. I mean, ladies, be, be serious here for a second. You know that you can't drop hints for us, right? We're stupid. You have to tell us what you want. Come, Men, I need an amen here. All right. We need a miraculous intervention. We need the supreme God of the universe to work. So pray. Because that is what will change hearts. That is what will change minds. And reconcile. Reconcile. But then you have to ask, I mean, why should I care? Why should I go through all this effort? That's the person who did wrong. He's the one who should pay. Well, first of all, okay, there may be truth to that. But it always takes two to tango. And secondly, it's always easier for us to be easy on ourselves and overlook our own guilt that has to do with the relationships that we're in. And thirdly, the most wonderful thing about forgiveness, the most wonderful thing about trusting God's promises that He will take care of business, the most wonderful thing about just letting it go is you realize that when you forgive someone, you let a prisoner free. Only to realize that that door you unlocked was your own cell door. And now you're free. Now you are able to breathe free air. You and I must move towards reconciliation because it is the job God has given us to do. And God will never command us to do something that He doesn't enable us to do. And that's where we get in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Those neighbors you know who are struggling in their marriage, encourage them to be reconciled to God. There's a message that we must implore with those around us. And one bit of advice I've heard every pastor that I know give is as you grow closer to God, you will grow closer to each other. But you know, that's not just in marriages. That's in your coworkers. They may not be Christians. But as you grow closer to God, you will also grow closer to them. You are offered reconciliation. Therefore, look to the cross to find forgiveness for your sins. And then, you offer reconciliation. Now, not everybody's going to take you up on it. Not everybody's going to be willing to be reconciled. Not everybody can. But you can offer it. Look to the cross for the forgiveness of for the sins of the person who are at arm's length to you. Pray for the forgiveness of sins for your loved one. 
I tell nearly everyone who comes into my office that the first way you can tell you have begun the process of forgiving somebody is that you're able to pray that God would bless them. Now that prayer may be something like this. Lord, take them to heaven tonight. (laughs) That may not exactly be what we're talking about here. Pray for God to forgive that person. Pray for God to move in his or her heart so that they turn to Jesus. You may not be able to receive them back. Your trust may be completely, utterly shattered and there's no way to get that trust back. That may be true. That does happen on this side of eternity. But then you need to ask yourself, do I want to see this person in heaven? And if the answer is no, go back to the cross. Go back to the cross for yourself so that you can pray this man or this woman can also go back to the cross. God loves a desperate soul. Are you desperate enough to pray for that relationship you've been praying about these last few minutes? Are you desperate enough to implore them on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God? If you're not, if you haven't yet been convinced, I understand we live in a sin-sick world and man, it stinks. There's more than one person that frankly, I don't want to see until I get to heaven. That there's at least a little bit of sin in all those on my behalf. And I need to repent of that. But here's one more bit of hope. Here is one more. Paul is so gracious to us. The Lord through Paul gives us this difficult command to be reconciled to the people who are at arm's length to you. And then he gives us hope. And the hope in this case is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, this verse is about what theologians call the double imputation. And the double imputation is that Jesus bore God's wrath for my sins. He took away my sins. But also, Jesus lived the perfect life and He gave me His righteousness. So God the Father looks at me and He says, righteous as Christ. That's the double imputation. He takes away my sins and He adds to me Christ's righteousness. But what is glorious is that we learn this magnificent theology right in the context of your difficult relationships. God is the one who moves us. He is the one who is the great and gracious God who does the heavy lifting. 
as we opened the services this morning, we didn't talk about this, but we both landed on Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Almost seems a waste to ask this question, but do you find your heart burdened because of relationships? Do you need rest? Do you need hope? Do you need a soul desperate enough to cling to the riches of grace of the God who loves you and knows you better than you love and know yourself? Go to Him. As I was writing this sermon... Uh, Monday morning and then Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday night, lo and behold, Steve called me. I, I mean, what are the chances of that? Steve called me. He wanted to make sure our information was right, and he couldn't remember my eldest son's name who's sitting right back there. Sorry, Jaron. So he wanted to know, and then he wrote us a letter. I got the letter on Saturday. He called me, and, and that was a coincidence, but as we all know, coincidence is just another way of saying a divine pun. And we found that Steve and Linda's story continued. One of the other common things that I say when people come into my office for counseling, when they have marital issues, and as I recommend that they go to a marriage conference, the one that they went to was called A Weekend to Remember, Family Life gave it. So they went. And this is the hand of God. Friday, the way Steve tells it, and I talked to him. I asked him. I said, hey, I want, I want to remember some of these details. And so he gave them to me. On Friday, Steve told me that he and Linda went to this conference as co-workers. Basically, there are two people who are driving in the same direction and they were cordial with each other. And they drove there with one of them having a job and the other one unemployed. They drove there with one child who was being taken care of at home. But God loves the desperate soul, the soul that clings to Him for assistance. Monday evening, Steve called me. They had reconciled their marriage. They're still married. Just talked to him on Tuesday. Steve by Monday evening, had a job. And even though he didn't know it at that moment, they had another child who would be born in nine months. Talk about a weekend to remember. <laughs> I bet every person in this room has relationships that are impossible to reconcile. There is no human hope left. It's all spent. Looking at it from merely human eyes, it's done. Forget about it. Move on. 
And you will never hear me preach a sermon, Five Easy Steps to Reconciliation, because I don't think that that's how God works. But this is the step towards reconciliation. Turn to the God who intends to use you as a means of reconciliation. Be desperate enough from human means to turn to the God who will always fulfill His promises. Depend on Him because God loves a desperate soul. Be desperate enough to trust Jesus. Lord Almighty, we are desperate because we know there is nothing on this earth that can save souls and reconcile people no matter who they are. But as I look at this room, you have been gracious to me. And in the last 12 years, I've seen miraculous reconciliations. I think about several couples in this room. I think about several of the people in here who have told me about parents, who have told me about children. I know several people in this room who are right now in the furnace. You are the God who walks through furnaces and comes out unscathed. And you are the God who though we are scathed, though we are scarred, though we are imperfect, though we have failed in powerful ways, You are the craftsman great enough to use even my sin to bring Your glory, a fullness of joy for many and the growth of Your kingdom. Lord, cause us to be desperate so that we will find You faithful. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. Amen.